Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road and I'm really excited today because I'm back in my own home country and I'm back in one of the most beautiful parts of the world I believe and I've just invited myself for a cup of tea to meet the beautiful Darry Fraser. Darry, good morning, how are you? Good morning Melinda, thanks very much for having me. Yeah. Now, Darry and I have been having all sorts of fun and games this morning, uh, trying to get us up and running, and we're up and running, which is really, really great. Darry, I'm going to start, and this is really naughty of me because we're here to talk about Darry's new book called Daughter of the Murray, and it's, as usual, got the most magnificent cover, and I'm very excited to talk about it. But, Darry, I want to know all about your beautiful home um, island of Kangaroo Island. Certainly. That's no trouble there. Um, Off the coast of South Australia, It's a a third largest island around the continent, Um, 4,000 people, 4,000 square kilometres. So we have lots of uh, sheep, lots of grains, lots of uh, agricultural industry, marine life and marine industry. Um, Four main little towns uh, and I'm in the largest town of Kingscote. So... um, uh, generally speaking, it's a very mild Mediterranean um, weather environment, if you like, and uh, nothing between us and Antarctica on the south coast. Yeah, so that sets the scene for all our international listeners. Look, Australia is diverse. Last week we were up at the Daintree talking to Annie Seaton about her new book. Now we're down the bottom of Australia near Adelaide. Kangaroo Island is down in South Australia somewhere, which dovetails nicely into the setting for Darry's new book, which is The Mighty Murray. How far is um, Kangaroo Island from The Mighty Murray? As the crow flies, it would probably be about 20 minutes from the Murray Mouth. So the Murray Mouth is at Goolwa, and um, it takes a direct track north and a massive bend east and goes into Victoria from there. So uh, longest river system in the country and I believe one of the longest in the world. Yeah, pretty impressive, and you can see why I'm attracted to talking to Darry this morning. As I said, I'm really excited. I'm from New South Wales. The Murray River has played a huge part in my life, and I know all about the paddle steamers that used to go up and down there. The most exciting thing is that Darry has written a historical novel set in the 1890s, uh, and that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about setting. I want to talk about historical fiction, Darry, and I want to talk about that wonderful research process that you've gone through to, to get... Get this book to publication. Well, that's an interesting one, and I know we're limited for time, but we're talking a span of 36 years here, Melinda. Um, in my convoluted little lifestyle, I was in Alice Springs in 1982-1983 and decided I needed to write a story uh, set in an area where I spent a good deal of my childhood and absolutely loved, which was in Swan Hill on the Murray River in Victoria. And uh, I've always wanted to write, always been a writer. So I had a 
blue Collins notebook, a pencil and an eraser, and away I went. So I basically had a story I wanted to tell about a young woman who needed her own life, but she was thrust into a a life with a foster family and she she wasn't really terribly excited about all that. Um, So she decides to take a bit of adventure on the river and uh, the story actually morphed from that sort of uh, setting, if you like. So the setting um, put her in a homestead west of Swan Hill um, in an area well known to the people of that area around uh, Tintinda. And um, away I went. I was fascinated by life on the paddle steamers and fascinated by by the 1890s. And um, it really it was the last of an era. So, And last of an era for... Uh, women in the sense that they were beginning to be franchised and to understand their own worth uh, in a political sense. Yeah, now I did see something about um, uh, suffragettes and we're going to touch on that in a minute. I don't even know whether that's this book or the next book and we're going to talk about that little kerfuffle as I got (laughs) Darry's books muddled up, but we'll talk about that as well. I want to stay in the 1890s. Uh, Now I know from my own, uh, I guess, academic studies that, you know, Federation hadn't even happened then. Uh, Catherine Susanna Spencer was writing in those days. Very, very early, interesting women writers back then telling us what it was like. So I'm assuming that you would have had to refer to some of those writers just to get the detail. I, I wanted to look at women who had stood up and uh, made themselves accounted for. And one of the women who fascinated me was a young person by the name of Vida Goldstein. And as I progressed, um, and only in the last uh, five years or so, with some uh, research in that regard, she kept popping up for me. So I thought, well, I'll follow her line. Um, There's a number of women. There's, of course, Carolyn Chisholm way back and um, Henry Lawson's mother, Louisa, um, Vida Goldstein and a number of other women who did uh, stand up for the rights of women. And I have to say here, for the rights of European women or white women, um, I haven't yet touched on the franchising of Aboriginal women, but that came quite late after Federation uh, in Victoria especially. But back to Vida, um, she announced quite early in her life, I believe around about the age of 20, that she would have to forgo married life in order to follow her passion for uh, the franchise of women. So that's the line I took. I I had a a little look at at, uh, some author's writings, but I I couldn't actually bring to mind uh, too many of them at the moment. Um, But Vida did strike a chord uh, with me, um, and uh, that's that's where I had her come into the novel and meet my main character very fleetingly, but the impact Vida had on my character was quite profound. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, as we as we go back through our own history. Uh, you touched on something there that is, is amazing because we, we have certainly brought some of our early women to the foreground and there's been a lot of um, work done, in, especially in the 70s and the 80s by our, by our academic women, which is fantastic. Um, but you did mention that the Aboriginal women's story hasn't been foregrounded as much as yet. That's an interesting point, is it? isn't it? Yes, I, I find it so, and I'm I'm not uh, au fait with the story of franchise for the whole 
uh, population, especially uh, for women. But I believe, uh, just going on memory now, um, Aboriginal women weren't franchised until, I believe, the 1920s, which is quite late. Uh, so that sort of has sparked an interest for me also to, to follow through to see what happened there and where our heroes were uh, in regard to that. Uh, so that might might be a story later down the track. Yeah, I'm interested because I'm hearing this expression that I've never heard before and this is showing my, I guess, my closeted um, upbringing, franchising of women. It's it's not a term that I've ever heard. Uh, in my research, it, it popped up and I had to have, it's sort of an organic understanding of what that was. Um, if we talk about uh, slaves being... Um, Freed. We talk about male slave franchise or, or males uh, being franchised uh, ahead of females being franchised. So it's basically, I would imagine, a state acceptance or a, or of their um, uh, level in society where they were accepted for the vote. In the 1890s and earlier, and even clearly a little later, um, it was understood that I presume because the Aboriginal population had no notion of um, a European government that uh, they wouldn't understand who to vote for or why they were voting or why even they should vote. Um, so it was a state-sanctioned thing that people became franchised. So um, in the terms of the day, women were not necessarily thought of as people and therefore they were not franchised in order to vote. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting. Um, I think it's academia has moved on and left me behind, and that's the research that you're tapping into. As um, Darry's speaking to me, I'm turning around frantically looking through my bookshelves. It was Catherine Helena Spencer that I was thinking of. Oh, Catherine, yes. Catherine Helen Spencer. I said Catherine Susan Spencer. I thought that's not right. It's Catherine Helen Spencer. And um, as I said, there's been a lot unpacked about about those early women. And it and it is exciting. And it is exciting that you've put that research into your current novel, which is again um, Daughter of the Murray. Just in case I don't even know if we mentioned the title. Um, we knew what we were talking about. Everybody, I'm sorry. Uh, and. Darry is also working on a new novel, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, how much historical uh, stuff have you put into your book? How much, how much, if I pick it up, am I going to get a lot of, um, I guess, literary um, knowledge out of it? Or have you really focused on the romance? Because it is a mirror romance, isn't it, through Harlequin? Yes, they're calling it an, a fast-paced adventure romance. And I guess the romance has to be called because it's definitely in there. Um, the historical side of things I've woven into the story. So in my own words, no one's going to be hit over the head by a big um, bunch of historical fact and fiction. At the time, we knew there were back-to-back uh, -back depressions, uh, economic depressions. We knew there were back-to-back terrible, terrible droughts um, right across the eastern uh, uh, area of the country. We also know, and this impacts on one of my characters, that there were two Boer Wars. The first Boer War um, uh, uh, happens a little before the story is set. So those sorts of uh, historical bits and pieces are in there. We, we knew that railway had reached middle of Victoria and the river which impacted heavily on the Murray River trade uh, with the paddle steamers. Uh, so those sorts of things in history. Um, 
uh, are woven through the story. Um, we know uh, the governor of Victoria, he comes to a little uh, wedding reception at one point, um, just bits and pieces which, which sets you in the story rather than being uh, somebody who's looking, uh, as you say, academically at everything that was going on. So these people on the ground may have had a finger on what was happening politically for them, but in the main, they were more interested in, in what was happening immediately in their own backyard, if you like. Yeah. Now, this story was 36 years in the making. You, you've set it in an area that you know extremely well. Uh, you've pulled it together in the last five years and given it all your heart and soul. Uh, I love some of the things that you're talking about, the history of the railways, uh, that Murray River, the droughts, the Boer War. You talk about um, the harsh country, I'm guessing, because as far as I'm aware, uh, some of that uh, country down there is really dry and really barren. That's right. Uh, it's the first place in my little life at the time that I'd ever experienced huge dust storms. And the dust storms were a deep, rusty red. And I remember as a very young child standing outside looking at these rolling, monstrous clouds of red dust. And you were breathing it, you were speaking it, you were swallowing it, you were sitting in it. It was everywhere. You looked and I was absolutely fascinated that somebody's paddock could be flying over me. So I, I, um, I grew up looking around me and I grew up under sunny skies and I grew up under a river that was still reasonably healthy. We had a big flood at the time when uh, we were in uh, Swan Hill. It was a great adventure for a kid who couldn't swim and uh, who, who would go out with the little life jacket on the river and so on and so forth. It was one of those five years only in my childhood that have stayed with me forever and have given me a great appreciation of that dry, dust, hard-baked earth that people make a living out of. Yeah, and, and they do, and, and, you know, they've been there through the thick and thin of all of it. They've been through all the hardships, which is what makes a good novel great, being able to put all that passion I guess and all that striving and all those hardships in front of our characters to bring them to life now I love historical fiction um, I noticed that uh, you call it historical. yes um, Taya Cooper uh, uh, one of our other Oz um, historical writers uh, found that hashtag somewhere or other and said to me you're quite welcome to use it we're all using it so it's a hashtag Oz historicals and uh, there's a small group of us of which I'm very uh, proud now to be part of uh, writing the the fictional um, stories of our country and one of the things that I remember saying when I pitched this manuscript first up was we have um, wonderful film and wonderful books uh, on uh, life as it was in this country and it was very harsh and, and sometimes really quite awful and um, devastating. But I, I couldn't really see any wonderful heroes that we tend to tap into when we're looking at books and movies and whatever from Europe or America, shall we say. So I, I felt there was a great need for us to have our, our own heroes, even in this country uh, born of great hardship and, and great devastation. So um, Oztorical was a tag that really spoke to me and I'm, I'm really, really glad that um, Taya uh, put me onto it. Yeah, and I'm really excited to have tapped into the Oztorical uh, whole tagline as well because I think my, my little tomb sitting up in the Atherton Tablelands um, 
is is based around this time period as well and it's looking at the old early timber history uh so i'm very interested in your research process um all the rivers run by nancy cato comes to mind for some bizarre reason now that's an old book going back a few years um is, is your book similar in the vein to that kind of thing or are you looking at me going i don't know what you're talking about oh i know what you're talking about <laughs> melinda are you ready for this In 1982, 1983, when this kid sat down with her pencil and her Blue Collins notebook, she thought she had written the best story in the world and it was about to hit the typewriter and it was about to go to publishers. Then she turns on the telly and she sees this TV series with the beautiful Sigden Thornton in it called All the Rivers Run. And this little kid just fell on the floor with her leg in the air. She just thought, this is not good. They're going to accuse me of plagiarism. I'm dead in the water. And uh, so I did a bit of research on this damn series, All the Rivers Run. And it turns out that the book was written in 1957, which makes it as old as me. So I put that notebook away, cried my tears, pulled myself up a bit, got on with life. And it sat in that bottom drawer for a long, long time. Over the years... I've seen uh, the All the Rivers Run again, and I've read the book again, and I keep putting that in the same drawer as my book. And then when uh, Harley Quinn Mira first picked it up, their working title for it was River Run. Well, I was absolutely mortified, absolutely <laughs> mortified. And um, as it turned out, the wonderful Nicole Alexander brought a book out not very long ago, and it had the title River Run. So I breathed a sigh of relief. I'm very, very happy that Nancy had her All the Rivers Run fame, but I've got Daughter of the Murray and I'm sticking with that. Uh, Well, you could almost say that um, Nancy Cato's a bit of a talisman because, A, it was odd that I even thought of it, Um, B, um, Nicole Alexander used the title, but, B, you you were the same age at 1957 that this thing, what was written. So, you know, I think you should use it in your publicity. Lots of people have uh, said that to me. In fact, at the moment I mention river, woman and paddle steamers, everyone says, oh, it's got to be like all the rivers run. Now, Harlequin were were very keen for me to do exactly that, and I'm quite happy to do that. But one thing I would feel very uncomfortable about for Nancy, uh, you know, Miss Cato, is that I would never, never want to um, make my book... um, a comparison to hers, which was truly wonderful. Um, I hope it's truly wonderful. Of course I do my book, but um, let's hope it stands alone. But again, um, she brought the River Murray to the fore in people's minds, first of all when it was published and secondly again in the early 80s, and people still talk about that, and that is so important to me uh, with regard to the river itself. So if I can do my little bit with Daughter of the Murray, and the second book that I hope will be accepted for publication, then um, I've done my bit and I'm very, very happy about that. I've got to tell you, if you've got book one and book two, everyone's going to want book three. It's just part of the part of the service. You've got to just keep them coming. Now, when I was researching this morning and I was looking for information on Darry's book, because I've got to tell you, um, you don't get any pre-release chapters with these things. Darry's book's not out till the middle of December, uh, which I'm guessing this will probably go to air around the middle of December, everybody. So you might have her book in your hot little hands as, as we put this out. Um, having some uh, interesting tidbits direct from the author's 
mouth is really, really exciting. And you're telling us some stuff, Darry, that I didn't find anywhere else. Um, but I did find some other characters, which I thought were in this novel, but they're actually out of your next. And it was Mr. O'Rourke and Miss Seymour. Now, I'm a Jane Austen fan. I just adore Jane Austen. As soon as I saw Mr. O'Rourke and Miss Seymour, I thought this has got to be a true romance. Um, Ard O'Rourke and Lindley Seymour um, are characters in a book that uh, is with Harlequin Mirror, but I'm still waiting to see whether or not they'll um, they'll take it on. Um, Ard O'Rourke is the son of um, uh, Irish men, a, a man and woman, who came out in the 1840s, just prior to the Great Famine in um, in uh, the UK. And uh, he's been a bit of a lad, Ard, and uh, the woman that he loves and has loved for a long time um, from early childhood uh, is part of a uh, family um, who don't have men in their lives. And Lindley finds herself looking after a baby that doesn't belong to her but may belong to Ard. And so the uh, suffragist idea or the independence of women comes through uh, this story where Lindley and uh, her work with her aunt, Cecilia, uh, to look after women who are disenfranchised, to use that word again, um, uh, as single mothers or um, uh, uh, you know, unmarried mothers or uh, women who have been dumped by their families. So it brings these two people together, Lindley, who loves a man who's probably been around the town just, just a wee bit, and a man who realises that his being around the town has actually perhaps lost him the woman he loves. So again, it heads towards the river um, from Ballarat to Echuca, and uh, the struggle of uh, a woman working to bring up a child on her own without a man in the family. Uh, look, the motives um, run through this thing, that great mighty Murray uh, and your characters sound just wonderful. I love the name Miss Lindley Seymour. It just rolls. It's like almost like um, Little Women, isn't it? It's beautiful. I love it. Um, the motive of the Murray, we keep coming back to it. So I've got to sneak in a little question here and everybody, you're going to love this one. Because the river flows from Victoria and it flows out past Albury, um, Albury-Wodonga there, does it? Because you're talking about it flowing through Gawler and out through South Australia. Which way does this stupid Murray River flow? Well, I, I did have to research <laughs> that because we talk about upstream and downstream. I am so and, confused. Um, yes, well, so from Albury um, going through, you know, we're coming back uh, to like a chuka, um, Believe it or not, um, from what I understand, from Ichuku to Swan Hill to Mildura to Renmark to Gulwa is all downstream. So it flows from uh, New South Wales, Victoria, downstream into South Australia and the Murray Mouth. So we've learned something, everybody, because I always thought it went the other way. Me too. <laughs> all right, all of those who have hired steam steam um, boat rides or because you, you can go on to this Mighty Murray on the steam paddlers, paddle steamers is what they're called, and stay a night or three and eat 
fine wine and food and dine and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you all know something that we don't know because if you're floating on a boat, you'd know which direction you were going. Did you have to, as part of your research, go on one of those magnificent paddle steamers and live a life of luxury for a few days? Actually, um, a little while ago, we're talking probably 10 years, I took a job in South Australia and uh, the one of the companies owned the Proud Mary. Now, I'm not sure if the Proud Mary is still operating, but they did cruises uh, from um, Manham and Blanchetown in uh, South Australia up to uh, up to Renmark, I believe, when the river was high enough to go that far. So uh, it gave you an inkling, uh, first of all, of travel in the day and also the 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 power that sits behind that body of water and th that immense body of water that is the Murray um, uh, is just, was just wonderful. Um, I did not enjoy working in uh, Adelaide City. Well, I knew people were actually on the river. Um, and the river environment in South Australia, uh, the river banks uh, are so completely different to where I lived as a child. So, so the Renmark uh, part of the story is still to come. Um, so perhaps that side of things might be the third story if I get that lucky. Um, but you know what? I, I just might write it anyway. Yeah, that's what we indie publishers say. Just write it anyway. Don't be beholden to any dastardly publisher. Although if it was Harlequin Mirror, I think I would be. Uh, I've got to tell you that I'm sitting here listening and I'm so very excited that our Australian writers, you guys, and me if I ever get around to it, we're actually putting our beautiful Australian landscape front and centre in all our novels and bringing Australia to life just like the old-fashioned sagas that were written many years ago that I was told went out of fashion but I've always loved. And I'm thinking particularly of a novel here called Sarah Dane, which was back in the early convict days, and I used to love those kind of sagas. You guys are actually writing the modern-day sagas, aren't you, with, with, with these magnificent settings. Um, and Mira has allowed the books to get a little bit longer so the stories can get a little bit longer. Um, but to have dynasties and all that kind of stuff is really quite exciting. Yes, I think so. And, and one of the things about this story, Daughter of the Murray, it, um, again, its title, uh, was tossed up and tossed up, especially when Rivers Run didn't get a Guernsey. Um, uh, we talked about Daughter of the River, which, of course, could be any river anywhere. But when you're giving it its name, it does set the story squarely where people are able to easily identify. And you're quite right, Melinda. I think our um, historical authors now are showing that we can be very, very proud of where we live and what we've got. And the other thing I'm keen to do is is to bring younger women readers into that saga-type story where you, you love your characters and you, you want to see how they go, you know, in the next phase of their life. Um, and I think the key might be um, showcasing that women did stand up for themselves in the day and they had a hard run to do that. And our vote... Uh, as we go every few years or every few weeks, whatever we're doing these days, um, is has been hard won by women who have gone before us. So they, they need to be um, uh, acknowledged for that in, in themselves. So I think um, bringing these series-type books or the sagas through where you can identify with young people in these books who've, who were there in the day, I think is a key to bringing these sagas back for the Australian reader in particular. Oh, look, I am now officially everybody an historical author. 
I am going to be odd stroke and I'm going to ditch all that literary crap that I write and I'm going to get more romantic, I promise. Um, because I think you're right, Darry. I think what you're doing and what you guys are doing is really exciting. Darry is the first of my odd historical authors, but she won't be the last, everybody. Um, now, I'm going to move on from that because she's sick of my um, admiration uh, and Darry's been very generous. Your mentor, um, the name Amy, Amy Andrews kept popping up. Uh Amy is, as uh, you might be aware, a, um, a very uh, well-written and uh, best-selling author. And she has a website that allows uh, people such as myself to approach her and her uh, partner in crime, Anna uh, Cleary, and uh, have their manuscripts assessed for their worth, if you like. So um, poor old Amy at wordwitchery.com, she um, took my my manuscript and I handed it across the uh, internet with trembling kilobytes and <laughs> asked her asked her would she please have a look at this and tell me if it was you know not so good and uh, anyway she said yes certainly I'll look at that I'll I'll I'll, I'll do a, an eight page this and that and the other thing and I'll let you know where you're going wrong and what I think you could improve and all the rest of it so poor old Amy had this rewritten manuscript 750 times over with all the angst behind it that I've, I've talked about already and I dumped it in her lap. Well, she came back with 13 pages and I immediately, I, w I was able to identify all that stuff that you don't need in a manuscript anymore and literally there was a point in the manuscript which I'd have to return to to remember but I thought this is where it turns left at Renmark and gets on with it. And uh, from that moment, I thought, wow, the way she spoke to me in that 13 pages, spoke to my muse, if you like, in that 13 pages, was so profound that that was the rewrite that went to the pitch session when Mira picked it up. So I have the greatest gratitude <laughs> to Amy Andrews mm -hmm. and Word Richery. And she also has seen the second one, and worked her same magic on my muse for that one as well. So all kudos to her. Yeah. Now, Amy's been really good to us, everybody. If you go back about 20 or 30 episodes, you'll find an interview with her. And I think it was something like over 50 books published and several million copies sold or something. And now she's writing this wonderful football series. And I'm going, Amy, why? But you know what? They're just as good as everything else that she does. Um, mentors. Everyone needs a mentor. And my... I'm coming more and more firmly to believe and I'm, I'm closing down because I was interviewing a lot of people overseas as well. I just think we've got so much happening here in Australia. We've got so much happening within the romance genre and the adventure romance genre and the suspense genre. Um, we've got our own little world happening out here um, and it's really, really exciting. Uh, Darry, I'm assuming your book is with Mira Australia. Will it go overseas? Uh, the printed book will be Australia and New Zealand, but I believe it's available um, on uh, Amazon uh, uh, to be accessed from overseas. But I'm, I'm not technologically au fait in that regard, but uh, I can certainly see it up there uh, on Amazon. So um, fingers crossed that's the case. Yeah, what kind of rights? Oh, you don't have to answer exactly here, but you can sell certain rights nowadays, which is what we, we talk focus on a lot with indie indie 
publishing is you can sell your Australian rights, you can sell your digital rights, you can sell your world rights, though why anyone would nowadays, I've got no idea. Um, and I do believe from the guys that we've interviewed that MIRA tend to pick up that Australian New Zealand rights from their authors. So that's something that we'll keep an eye on in the future as as our Australian writers become more well-known. I was listening to something, Darry, and it just horrified me that um, someone in America I was talking to said it's been said to them that Australian settings just don't sell overseas. Uh, we have heard that for years and years and years and years and years. And I tend to think, especially lately where people are travelling a lot more and finding Australia a safe country to visit, that that could be seen that could be a part of the publisher not understanding that their readers might want something new yeah um you know where we we understand what jocks are for instance and when you talk to the american audience the jocks jocks aren't underpants they're fellas that play football um so we've had to learn that and i and i think there we could have a reciprocal type setup where people in America are keen to understand that jocks over here are underpants. It doesn't do anyone down. Yeah. Um, it's a, I think it's a, a case of education, but not so much of the readers, of the publishers. Uh, see, I knew I'd look, I, because, you know, oh, and rampantly indie, uh, I know that several of my authors that have come through here, and I probably shouldn't keep mentioning their names, but Annie Seaton's Kakadu Sunset has done fantastically well digitally, digitally overseas. Um, but I think she kept her own rights to that. I think um, her series, and you have to correct me on this one, Annie, but Daintree and Kakadu are mainly Australian, New Zealand like yours. Um, but I know we had this same discussion with her. And it's very, very interesting because um, I follow Joanna Penn very closely. And we're talking about how indie publishers are now the influencers and that traditional publishers really need to start paying close attention to what the indies are doing because people do want our work. I'm sure your your book has just the most magnificent cover, has that wonderful, wonderful title, which I just think works so very, very well. Uh, it's got to have wider appeal. I would hope so. I would love it too. And I think the the magic that Harlequin Mirror worked on that cover is just amazing. It seems to have a universal glow about it, um, which could quite possibly have to do with its colour. Um, but it it also, it, it, I think it would appeal to anybody anywhere. Um, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. We all know we have to have grand covers for our books and books that re uh, covers that reflect what, what are in our books. Uh, so, I re look, I really don't know why um, something like this story wouldn't appeal to the US, uh, Canadian market, uh, European market. Uh, English, of course, is an issue, but a lot of people in Europe uh, uh, have English as a second language. Um, so I would hope, with fingers crossed, that we can um, keep pushing and break that little ceiling, because it's only a little ceiling, yeah. and um, keep working on it. But indies, indies are doing great work, um, especially those who are working their craft and and are really keen to to move mountains and I think they are yeah and that's pretty exciting and if you've still got your international rights um if you've with only with mirror um you could probably push forward would you, would you ever consider uh doing some of that yourself now how's that for a question can you answer that uh, that's, 
that's well, that's a pretty big question. I um, I'm still coming out of my my fog of of uh, having the wonderful experience of being picked up by a major publisher, so I'm needing to uh, look closely at what I can and what I can't do and where my book might be well received. I mean, there's to my way of thinking, I need to uh, look carefully to where my market might be and go there rather than expend a lot of energy and and be worn out by hitting my head against a brick wall. So the the short answer is yes. I think there's a, a number of us wanting to see whether or not I'll change that phrase when daughter of the Murray flies um, and how well she flies uh, in order to uh, know where my what my next step might be. But certainly to have an international readership uh, would be a wonderful thing. Yeah. And it, look, it's such exciting times. It's Look, we can do so much. There are so many opportunities. You can have these wonderful traditional publishers and, and guys, we all need them, and especially in the romance genre. Uh, romance readers, you're a member of the Romance Readers Association. Our romance readers here in Australia, again, are so very, very supportive. They certainly are, and we, we couldn't do without them. Uh, it's a huge organisation here. Um, many, many wonderful people who love reading the genre. Um, and when we talk about romance, I, I there's something that twigs on the peripheral of my, my little mind here. Um, it covers such a lot of genres and has such a huge scope that uh, it can often be a misleading uh, name for the genre. So um, the Australian Romance Readers Association uh, are, are people who delve into all of the subgenres under that, and uh, there's some really, really wonderful stories coming out of our Australian writers. And uh, uh, again, those readers do marvellous work for all of us. Yeah, and I'm look, I'm tapping into as many as I can. I've got a lovely woman from down in New South Wales who sent me an email and saying, she, you know, she'd love to come on my podcast and I've forgotten her name, but she's got the most amazing uh, row of books out as well. She started off writing, she ended up doing, I think, her Master's in Creative Writing, but she's having such great success in, in the romance field and I'm pretty excited to be speaking to her as well. And as I speak, I'm just trying to find her name because I've forgotten it which is pretty slack of me, um, but it will come up. I promise it will come up and I will talk to her and you and everybody as often as I can. Um, could be Pam, Pamela Cook. Pamela Cook's a rural romance author and she's got lots of oh, books yes. coming out. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we've certainly got the talent coming through, so which is all very exciting. And I think over the Christmas period I'm going to um, put as many of these episodes up as I can because that's the time when we'll all be reading them, hopefully. Uh, now... Everyone, I've kept poor old Darry talking here for nearly 40 minutes. I've got to finish with two things that are the most important thing in any writer's life, and it's your dog and having a bottle of red wine named <laughs> after you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's interesting. That's not actually my name, but still, that's fine. Um, at one point, um, Darren Berg uh, from Darry's Veranda, they contacted me and said, you can't have that name. And I said, well, tell that to my mum and dad. You know, that was one of those moments where it was so surreal. It was ridiculous. But Hamish, my black Kelpie, he's sitting here with me now, making sure that um, everything is secure, everything is safe, which means he's fast asleep. He's an absolute delight. I got him when he was 18 months old, uh, a rescue dog, and uh, he has been the best thing that's happened to me in that four-year journey. 
Yeah. Isn't it nice, everybody? I've got to tell you that when um, Rachel John's got her new little kitten and I've got my kitten that is now a big fat cat and I've told him that it's a compliment to call him a fat cat and that I'm not offending him, we can't do without our animals. We, we romance writers are actually very – we're bits of softies, aren't we? I think we are and I think we understand the um, companionship of uh, an animal, cat, dog, whatever it might be, and and how important to Australian people their domestic pets are, and and often um, people you know on the land their their animals are quite important to them. So I think we do have a relationship with our animals, um, and uh, to such an extent that one of my other stories to be re-released shortly uh, features a black kelpie. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Now, we haven't talked about um, Dari's backlist. Um, she's, as she said, she's been writing for 36 years. You do have quite a list there with some amazing covers, actually, um, and surprise, surprise, put on islands, set on islands, which I'm assuming is Kangaroo Island, I'm not sure. Now, you're talking about re-releasing them. Um why, when they're already out? Uh, they've been withdrawn from market and uh, uh, no particular reason other than a request. Um, and I think that uh, I would like those hard yards to be back up there again with lovely new covers, uh, new branding. And the particular ones I'm re-releasing shortly are set on a fictional island by the name of Australis Island also known as Kangaroo Island. Uh, and uh, so I've built up a, a heritage um, list of, of families and cousins and girlfriends and new wives and businesses and dogs and all sorts of things. And uh, I think they're fun. And uh, they, they have been um, uh, great companions for me in writing, in writing th- those stories. So I want them back out again. So shortly they'll they'll hit their straps once again. Now, isn't it interesting, and I'm not asking you to answer me this, but the first thing I picked up on was a request that they be taken down and now they're all going to be released in new shiny covers. I'm guessing you're going to be a a new author after 36 years of writing. <laughs> that's, that's the sort of thing. I guess, um, I guess we're now talking hybrid where I can independently publish my backlist um, and uh, keep the mirror thing uh, quite separate. So um, I've taken a leaf out of, well, leaves out of a number of other authors' books and uh, I feel pretty good. So um, the rebranding will be vastly different to uh, Style of the Daughter of the Murray. And um, uh, so I really, I, I really can't wait. Uh, look, if you're not convinced by now that we're living in the most exciting time ever to be a writer, you never will be. Darry, you have so many wonderful, exciting things happening for you, but I'm guessing you've put in the hard yards for many, many years to get to this point. So I wish you all the best with your with your launch. And you've got a very supportive crew there on Kangaroo Island, which we haven't even touched on. Uh, we're at the 40-minute mark, but I'm going to just remind everybody that living on a tropical oh sorry it's not a tropical island living on a southern island has its advantages because um Darry, you are firmly entrenched in that community i notice um all the plays that you've acted in um oh, i've got to ask <laughs> lucky balls tell us about lucky <laughs> balls lucky balls was a fabulous play uh, the playwright's name escapes me right at the minute but my role was pat 
a recently widowed woman. And uh, we all go to the reception of a young married couple. So our town hall was set up as a wedding reception and there was a great long table on stage and there were 10, 10 or so of us. So Pat, my character, recently widowed, and this was her first foray out into society. And uh, so her other uh, two, the other two protagonists were two women. One was just a total drunk because her marriage was on the rocks and the other one was bitter and twisted and a loud mouth and whatever. Anyhow, the wedding is clearly, the reception is clearly boring, so they, they decide to take a lotto ticket and it, and it wins something like $14 million or whatever not, so they all get really, really tipsy. And um, uh, it's very, very funny in the end. And it was my first foray onto the stage, and that in itself has its own story. Needless to say, it took 50 years for me to get there, and uh, 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 I was very happy I did. And she's acted in several um, plays since then. Look, everybody, you've got to you've got to check out this woman's writing. You've got to check out uh, her her website, um, but also you've got to check out Kangaroo Island itself. I've got some some of the most amazing scenery of the Australia's great southern island. Um, it's got all the organic honeys and foods and all that kind of stuff happening there. M- the most amazing colours in the beaches and the waters. Darry, I think you've got almost what I would call an idyllic lifestyle. <laughs> yes, you could call it that. Um, yes, it's... Uh... It is wonderful. Islands have a fascination for a lot of people, One of, and I was certainly uh, one of those people. And I, I don't really think there's anywhere else that I could put my finger on that I, where I would like to live. So I, I think idyllic is a good word. Hard yards is another good couple of words. Yeah. But um, it is a wonderful place. It yeah. is a wonderful place. And there's no more joy, everybody out there, and I'm going to tap into this further, the historical authors. Researching Australia's history is just my biggest passion. It's something that I will be doing for the rest of my life. I love it. I've now found soulmates who are doing the same thing, which is absolutely fantastic. Darry, I wish you all the best. Um, I look forward to hearing more about your next book with my beautiful character, Lindley Seymour. Uh, and if you let us know when, when uh, your launch date is we'll we'll make sure that we celebrate with you thank you melinda and thank you very much for having me and thank you everybody out there listening wonderful wonderful please make contact (laughs) okay and i'll put Darry's contact details up on on our transcript notes and i'll find that find out the real story about that Darry's uh red wine story which obviously (laughs) is a little bit um not what we thought it would be and um we'll find our own bottle of wine Darry, and we'll drink that together one day okay lovely it's bye from us here at rider on the road and we'll be back again next week bye for now 